0: Hello and welcome back to Inside the Yale Admissions Office. My name is Mark and I'm a Yale Admissions Officer.
1: And I'm Hannah. I'm also a Yale Admissions Officer.
0: And we are excited to introduce a new occasional mini series we'll be hosting on the podcast that we are calling Mythbusters.
1: Yes, it even comes with a new theme song. Thanks, Andrew.
0: And Hannah and I are delighted that the one and only Jill is gonna be joining us for this Mythbusters episode today. Jill, how are you?
1: I'm doing really well, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me back. So here's the idea behind this episode. Uh, there are a lot of myths out there, out there that we hear about college admissions all the time. People come up to us and they say, I heard this, my uh, neighbor's cousin told me this, uh, is this true? And we wanted to address some of them today. We also see things like this regularly crop up on sites like Reddit um, and College Confidential. Uh, We're not regular readers of these things, (laughs) but I did, um, you know, pop on and scroll through some posts recently for the purposes of putting this episode together.
0: Yeah, so we're going to tackle a handful of these myths today, some of the things that we have heard most frequently over the years, and we're going to come back and we'll do more episodes like this every few months or so. There is no shortage of myths out there about the college admissions process. And it's understandable why there's a lot of myths out there about college admissions, right? I think first and foremost, um, I want to acknowledge that our process is one that is inherently opaque. And I think a lot of myths just come from the fact that people will connect the dots based on what they can see, which admittedly is not a lot compared to what we see, because we have the full picture of not only the full process, but also the entire applicant pool.
1: And another thing is that selective admissions means that a lot of people inevitably are going to be disappointed at the end of the process. And it's natural to try to find explanations for that, especially sort of outside influences, um, and to come up with explanations that are maybe cynical about our process, so we we totally get that. And if you just take away one thing from this episode, let it be: uh, be careful where you're getting your information on our admissions process from. Remember, um, you know, you can always go directly to the source—that's us—to get the right information, rather than peers or online forums or private consultants who claim to know more than they really do.
0: And if you remember back to our very first episode, we created this whole podcast in order to give folks reliable information. We wanted you guys to get it directly from the source um, and and provide this as a free public service. Um, I will say one of the craziest things that happens to me as an admissions officer is when I explain something to someone sort of busting a myth. And they don't believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and they will just shake their head, and they'll 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 go back, and they'll they'll fight me on it. And I'm like, Do you think I'm lying to your face? Like, really? I'm not. It
1: happens more often than you'd think, too. (laughs) I know.
0: Like, no. So so there's not a big conspiracy out there, guys. I promise.
1: And we will also recognize that there is usually some small kernel of truth behind these myths, Um, but usually they get sort of pretty distorted through the game of telephone that is kind of hearing from from different people about about. About the process. Um, so we're going to try to acknowledge where we think these myths come from. Um, and, uh, let you know why they're not necessarily true about our process.
0: Yeah, like most good gossip and most good rumors, there's usually something true, um, but it's been embellished. It's, it's gotten mm. onto a life of its own. Um, for the past few years, I've had this sort of simple rule of thumb for whenever I hear a, a juicy rumor or a good piece of gossip. Um, and that's that I, I simply just sort of stand back and I say, that is a really good rumor. Like it, it might be true. It might not be true. But just like, actually, when you hear something really juicy, just letting yourself say, wow, that's really good, is, is a chance to be like, hmm, I wonder why that's so good. You know, like, I wonder what's happening. So, so as we go through these myths, we'll, we'll sort of try to unpack maybe, you know, why a particular myth is appealing, why it's persistent, and how it's sort of gotten quite distanced from the original kernel of truth uh, that, that's underneath it.
1: I really yeah. like that, Mark. I think I'm going to start using that. <laughs> Good. Just a note on these online forums like College Confidential or the Applying to College subreddit, we totally get why these are tempting communities to engage in. Um, applying to college can be stressful and you don't know what you don't know. So finding an online community and reading about others' experiences may be comforting. Um, but just remember, it there's there's a lot of misinformation out there.
0: Yeah. All right. So you guys ready to bust some myths?
1: Absolutely. All right.
0: Do it. I'm so excited. Let's do it. Okay. We're going to try to get through six of them in the episode today. And as I said, we're going to have lots more in future episodes. All right. Here's myth number one. Is it easier to get into Yale if you apply through our early action program as opposed to our regular decision program? Ooh.
1: A lot of people think that's true. And guess what? It's not.
0: Busted. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Myth busted. Not <laughs> um, quick note, at Yale, we do early action as opposed to early decision. So it's a non-binding program as opposed to some other colleges that do early decision. And if you get admitted through that early program, there's an expectation that you'll commit to the college. But at Yale, we do early action, non-binding.
0: And I have to say, this is probably one of the easiest myths for me to understand. Like we'll get to some wacky ones later where I'm like, ah, where did this come from? This yes. this one's pretty straightforward, right? And And that's because if you divide the number of students who are admitted by the number of applicants, and you do that for the early pool and you do it for the regular pool, it's going to look like the admit rate is higher for students who apply through early. And this obviously makes people think that their individual chances of admission will be higher if they apply earlier. Um, We don't have time to unpack all of the math behind this. Maybe that'll be another episode later on. We can (laughs) do like just a big geeky math episode. Um, But like this this is a classic statistical fallacy, right? So it assumes that these two pools of applicants are identical, and that the rate of admission is a probability. So neither one of that is true. Um, you know, if you you kind of want to imagine, like, okay, are these like you know probabilities? This, these are jelly beans, and they're being sort of randomly pulled from from different jars. Um, you're not jelly beans. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> no. Applicants are real people, and uh, and our process is one that is not random. And so you shouldn't think about the rate of admission as being a probability. Um, And you also shouldn't think about the pools of these applicants being identical for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, They are not identical. If
2: they were actually jelly beans, I think I'd have to choose them all and (laughs) not be able
0: to choose. So
1: glad they're not jelly beans.
0: Thankfully, they're not jelly beans, yes. (laughs) Good
1: call. Yeah, I think um, one of the reasons why these pools are, uh, are, are not comparable is that you all when you're applying to college do a good job of selecting which schools are a good fit for you. The, the reason that people apply to Yale single choice early action is because Yale is their first choice. They're really excited to apply and they, and they feel like they've put together a strong application. And you know what? Often they're right. That results in just a stronger early action applicant pool.
0: Yeah. And I want to explain sort of our incentives here. Um, you know, we have every reason to want to be conservative in our early pool because we are operating understanding that we kind of don't know what's behind curtain number two in the form of our regular decision applicant pool. And and none of us want to get to in March reading our regular decision applicants and say, don't. We're out of spots. Oh, my gosh. We, we wish that we could admit all these students, but we, we wasted too many spots on these early um, students. And and that is why every year we have a pretty sizable number of applicants that we defer from our early action pool and ultimately mm-hmm. admit in regular decision. You know, when we were first looking at their applications, we wanted to be pretty cautious. We sort of weren't sure if at the end of the day they would stand out. And then once the rest of the pool fills in, we say, oh, yeah, this student does stand out, and, and we are delighted to admit them.
2: Yeah, and I also think a lot of students think maybe, maybe, Maybe we have different criteria for one Mm -hmm. pool and the other, and that's just not the case. I think it really kind of goes back to what Hannah was saying. That first group of students in that EA pool is really a self-selecting group of students who, you know, really do feel like Yale is the place for them, and we do see that in those apps. But we, on our end, are not reviewing those applications in any sort of different way than we are reviewing our regular decision applicants.
0: All right, so here's the takeaway, guys. At least when it comes to Yale, and we're only speaking for Yale here, the stakes around early action and regular Regular decision, They just are not high. Um, despite what a lot of people think, despite what people who are paid to say things say, um, I want to tell you, do your thing. Um, when we're reading applications, we know that strong applicants who are a great fit for Yale, they're going to stand out regardless of when they apply. Um, so most importantly, when we say there's no advantage to applying early, please believe us.
1: Myth number two. Uh, myth number two is that we have quotas or, you know, a set amount of students that we're going to admit from certain high schools. There are a few sort of different versions of this, like no one's gotten in from my high school before, so I certainly don't have a chance. Or, uh, you know, another variation of this is, oh, someone from my school got into Yale and then they opted to go to Stanford or Harvard or somewhere else instead. So Yale just hates my school now mm. and, and that's ruined my chances. Or uh, my frenemy Shelley is applying <laughs> early, so there's no way we'll, we'll both get in. Or the reason I didn't get in is that so many other students from my school applied. Anyway, there are a lot of different ways that you can, you can paint this picture. But guess what? None of them are true.
0: Busted. This is another one. It's pretty easy to see where this one comes from, right? Like this is a classic example of the availability bias, right? You are going to try to think of explanations for outcomes based on what's immediately available to you. And that's usually what's around you in your high school. So all these different versions of, well, it must've been because of something in my high school, um, That's where your mind's going to go. That's not how we operate, though.
1: Yeah, let's just sort of state this clearly. The applicant history at your school is not going to dictate how your application is reviewed or how your decision is rendered. Um, We admit individual students to Yale. We deny individual students from Yale, uh, not schools. So you don't compete against other applications from your high school any more than you compete against any other applicants in our pool.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I hope if you, you know, take a moment to think about this, it, it's going to make sense, right? Like, why would we want to miss out on a great applicant just because they go to a particular school or just because somebody else from that school is also applying, right?
1: Along with this, we see really strong and successful applicants from all kinds of schools. There's a persistent myth out there that you need to attend a certain type of school to be competitive at a place like Yale, and that's really not true. The students that we admit every year represent a wide, wide range of high schools in the U.S. and uh, you know, all around the world. I've gotten a lot of calls when I've been on duty, answering calls from
2: prospective students and parents, from parents of elementary school kids, Mm -hmm. um, asking, you know, where should they send their students to high school? And it really does not matter. You should not be making that decision based on, you know, what you think uh, the better high school to get into Yale is, because I think hopefully, as you're getting from everything that Hannah and Mark is saying, there is no specific high school that's going to be the best School to get into Yale, it's really about what you do there and not so much where you are.
0: Yeah, I think uh, a phone call I got a few years ago takes the cake. Um, I had a call from um, a- an expecting parent, so the, the ch- kid hadn't even been born yet, and oh they were God. calling <laughs> to ask where they should buy a house <gasps> in in a-, in a city that won't be named, uh, you know, to to determine where the-, the kid would go to high school. And you know, slow your roll. <laughs> slow yes. down. You've thoughts. got a
1: lot of a lot of uh, <laughs> child rearing to do before college applications. Yeah. I yeah. mean,
0: even if you're talking about a middle schooler, right? Like, let's acknowledge your school plays a really critical role in your development. Um, but we as admissions officers, I will say, generally speaking, the role of high schools tends to be overplayed.
1: And, you know, to those parents out there who are thinking of making that phone call uh, to see <laughs> where they should send their student to middle school or high school, um, any admissions officer worth their salt will tell you that, you uh, it you know it matters much more what the student does at that school than the name of the school or the reputation of the school or anything like that you know we're looking for students who have thrived in their high school environment and wherever that is going to be for your child that's that's where they should go
0: bingo the little kernel of truth here is that we as admissions officers we do read applications we do discuss them in the admissions committee in school groups. And we think there's important contextual knowledge about that high school. We get to know what's offered, where students at that high school come from, you know, what tends to be sort of a big deal at that school. But that doesn't mean that we're doing direct comparisons within a school group or, you know, expecting that any student from a particular school has done X, Y, or Z. All
1: right. Our next myth, myth number three, um, is kind of related, uh, and that is that it, the idea that it's easier to get into Yale if you come from a rural area or an area with fewer applicants. So, for example, like if uh, a family is saying, you know what, we should just move to Wyoming and then <laughs> it'll be easier to get into a selective college. Um, not true.
0: Busted. <laughs> <Myth>. Busted. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> Again. But we are really uh, lucky. Like we we should acknowledge Yale uh, as a as a school running admissions for Yale. We're we're very very fortunate. We have an amazingly diverse and global applicant pool. So we get to see strong applicants from just about everywhere. Um, uh, we also see plenty of variation from year to year. Right? It might be the case that we get a lot of strong applications from one particular state, or one particular country in one year, and then the next year not so many. But there's no rule that we have to admit someone from every state, you know, every single year, and that's going to bump up an individual student's chances or or anything like that.
1: Right. Just like we don't have quotas for high schools, we don't have quotas for states or geographic regions or anything like that. Um, I think where part of this myth comes from might be that, you know, where you live can certainly be an interesting and important part of your background. Uh, but it's not—that's not the case for everyone, and it's certainly not the only important piece of your background or your story.
2: Yeah. I I like to say, you know, I, for those of you listening, I read for different parts of Florida and I see a lot of students whose upbringing in Florida has had a significant impact on who they are. And that's super interesting to me when I'm reading your application, but it's just as interesting to me as the student who lived in Virginia their whole life and then moved to Florida for their junior or their senior year. And so context, you know, has a significant play in the application process. But again, it's gonna have more of a play for some students and it's gonna have less of a play for others. And it's definitely not that we are looking to only take a certain amount of students from any specific place.
0: Yeah, Hannah, I remember you mentioning in a previous episode that a successful essay can be one that conveys a sense of place. And when students have a relationship to a place that can become an asset for them no matter what that kind of place is. Um, you know, I remember talking with some uh, counselors in, in New York City, and they were saying, well, how can a student from New York City, you know, stand out? And I'm thinking, like, I'm, I'm from the suburbs of Georgia. Like, if I grew up in New York City, that would seem super interesting to me. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's there's right. that sounds super amazing, right? So... If yeah. where you're from is something that, as you reflect on yourself, you know, is an important part of your identity and you think is something that, as you're applying to college, could be something that you're going to bring with you, you can make it an asset.
1: All right. Myth number four. Students who can afford to do fancy summer programs at colleges have a better chance of getting accepted. Um, again, this is just not true.
0: Busted. Busted. <laughs> Thank you, Jill. You're Thank welcome. you, Jill. Good. Don't leave me hanging out there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? We want you to spend your summers doing what you care about. Um, not, you know, building up a resume or anything like that. There is no system of bonus points for doing a particular summer program, even if it's a really selective summer program.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, uh, folks out there who run these summer programs who don't want us to say this because it's a great marketing tactic when you get this stuff in the mail, right? Um, that, oh, you know, you're going to do this program, it's going to be on a college campus and you're imagining, oh, that's going to help me stand out. Sorry, um, that is not, you know, spending a summer signing up for one of these programs is, is not going to suddenly make you a super strong college applicant for us.
2: Yeah, I think related also, attending a Yale specific summer program is not going to make it easier to get into Yale. And I think I can probably say that about a lot of our peer institutions too. If you're doing a specific program with them, that does not necessarily mean that you have a better chance of getting into that
0: institution. Right. And something that's not always clear in the promotional materials, a lot of these summer programs that are located on college campuses they're just renting space there. They actually have no connection to the university themselves. You're not learning from university professors. You're literally just renting their dorms in the summer. So the university has someone in those beds uh, during those months. Yeah.
1: And look, if you want to do a summer program on a college, that's great. Good for you. But do it because you want to do it. And the, those can often be formative experiences where you meet a lot of cool people you weren't exposed to before. You ha- you have this experience living on a college campus. And that experience in a itself might be helpful for you as you think about where you might want to go to college and how you fill out your application. Um, But just the the fact that you did the program is not going to be a a leg up for us. We will note that there are a a number of hyper-selective summer programs, sort of a small handful of them, that uh, can sometimes be a good indication of a student's strength in their college application. And I think that is maybe a little bit of where this myth comes from, but it's never the only indication of strength in a, in a student's application. Um, and w- while we might admit some students who have done those summer programs every year, we also reject students who have been done those summer programs. And the majority of students that we do admit have not done these hyper-selective programs. Yeah, I think
2: I also, you know, when I've read an application, I get just excited about the student who's, you know, been doing something that's like maybe super selective during the summer as I do for the student who was scooping ice cream during the summer Mm -hmm. as a summer job. And those are two things that I, you know, have no value on. I think that they're both great things to do during the summer. And I think it just comes down to what you guys said, you know, do the things that you want to do during the summer.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's a very common question we get is what should I spend my summer doing? And the answer is really something that's going to be engaging and and interesting. You know, hopefully that means doing something more than just getting a high score on Halo in your basement. Like, I'll go ahead and say, like, we can differentiate (laughs) some things from others, um, but caring for a family member, uh, taking a student job, um, having an interesting trip doing one of these summer programs those are all ways that students can can grow and and be engaged and you know potentially create some interesting experiences that they wind up reflecting on in their college application for us to learn about we've seen it all
1: all right myth number five is that um if i meet my admissions officer in person or connect with them over email my application is more likely to stand out uh and we are here to tell you it's just not true
0: Busted! Busted. (laughs) Oh, this is my favorite one to bust. Mine too, mine
2: too. I feel very strongly about this one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, so this is all part of a larger concept called demonstrated interest. You know, there are a lot of very well-meaning counselors out there who will tell you, you've got to go get your name on the map with these folks. You've got to demonstrate your interest early on. You want your admissions officer to know you before they read your application. Um, So here's the thing, Yale does not track demonstrated interest. It does not influence our decision making process and we try to make clear tactfully that contacting us will not affect your chances of admission. And I'll go ahead and throw on here, too. um, That's true for visiting campus, coming to an information session, et cetera. Those are all awesome ways to learn about Yale. Let's say listening to the podcast, too, great way, you know, to learn (laughs) about our process. Um, But it's not going to make a difference that you registered for one of these things or downloaded our podcast. We we can't track. Don't worry. We don't know if you clicked or downloaded or anything (laughs) like that. Um, It's not going to make a difference in your application review process.
1: Nope. Right. Uh, We get why this um, this is a myth, though. Many colleges do track demonstrated interest, But for Yale, we absolutely do not.
0: Right. The other important kernel of truth here is that learning more about a school really can make you a better applicant. You know, our work is not about just handing out trophies. We are trying to find good fits just like you as a prospective college applicant, you're trying to find a good fit as well. So we find when reviewing applications that those applicants who've done their homework, reflected and can say, yeah, I really like Yale and I can tell you why, those students are definitely stronger than those who don't have any idea what Yale offers. And we kind of can tell in their application that what they're looking for in a college is something totally different than what we are offering. So-
1: yeah. And by the way, I'll just say, um, Jill, Mark, and I love meeting prospective students, yes. whether they're coming to campus and we happen to be, you know, the person giving the information session that day or if we're on the road traveling. We love to meet you guys, but we're not taking notes and, you know, uh, it's it's not going to help down the line um, in your in your application process.
2: Yeah, we're super friendly. We're super approachable. But we also have a lot of work on our hands, especially when we get into reading season. And so absolutely get in touch with us if you have questions. We love answering questions. But like Mark said, we're not in the business of making pen pals with anyone.
0: Right. And we think there's an equity component to this as well. You know, We don't want yes. to advantage students who have the opportunity to travel to campus or who just have the chance to meet us You know, when we're on the road.
1: All right. Myth number six. This is a really interesting one. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, this is that that people out there in the world or someone out there on the Internet can let you know what your chance of admissions is at a particular college. Um, we, we know that there is this Reddit College Confidential Culture called uh, Chance Me, Chance Me for Yale, Chance Me for this other school. Um, and uh, we just we just want to talk about this practice a little bit because um, nothing good can come of it. <laughs> no. <laughs> busted,
0: busted, busted, busted. <laughs> I don't know if the whole subreddit's going to dissolve now because a huge collection of energy is spent on this sort of exercise. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to tell you it's a fool's errand guys um it doesn't work it doesn't work we get why it's a tempting thing to do right like there's a ton of uncertainty around this process it would be so nice to have a better understanding of your chances of admission and and someone seemingly authoritative out in the universe being able to tell you what your chances are based on a bunch of things that you type up
1: but for so many reasons it, it doesn't work uh the i think one of the biggest reasons is the people that you're asking have no more expertise on the matter than you do. Um, most of them are, are your peers. Even if the people responding to these threads are, um, you know, private college counselors or current college students, that doesn't actually mean that they have any sort of more knowledge about you, your, your application than, than you do.
0: Yeah, and we are admissions officers and we don't play this game, right? If you were to ask us, tell me my chances of getting in, and you gave me everything that was going to be in your application, we wouldn't be able to give you an answer, right? There is so much context that's important. Um, I also want to throw out there, one of the biggest factors that you are not going to have any control over and that you can't estimate the chances of are the tens of thousands of other students who also apply. Right. That is Mm -hmm. such a huge component of our work. And that's never going to be incorporated into any of these sort of chancing exercises.
1: Another thing I see on these um, sort of chance me threads are people rating their own essays or their own teacher recommendations, which (laughs) they haven't actually read. Um, And, uh, you know, for the teacher recommendations, you you haven't read them. You don't know what your teacher is going to say about yourself you're also not a great judge of your own writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you, you know what you've written about, but um, we're not always the best judges of the work that we produce. So I'll just throw that out there.
0: Yeah. And yeah. as I was saying, you know, the, the rest of the applicant pool is such a huge component of this. You know, I think we all get questions from students after decisions are released and they'll say, why was I denied? You know, mm. what was weak about my application? What could I have done better? And I know this isn't a satisfying answer, but it's the true answer, which is almost always, it's, it's not because your essays were an eight out of 10, you know, and it's not even because you got a, a B plus in geometry in ninth grade. The answer is almost always, because we have this crazy big and crazy strong applicant pool. And for most applicants who are denied, you could go back and say, yeah, if, if there weren't 35,000 other students who were applying this year, we would be delighted to have this student, you know, on our, on our campus. Um, hmm. That's just inherent to the work of selective admissions. And that's the kind of context and nuance that is just not going to make its way into a, a subreddit thread.
2: Yeah. We're like super lucky that we have all of these applicants and that we do have such a str- pool. But at the end of the day, Yale is not the size of the entire planet. It is, mm-hmm. you know, a specific size and we only have so much space. And I think that's important to recognize that it's not that you did anything wrong. It's just that we only have a certain amount of space on our campus.
1: So, you know, just to wrap up here, there is a lot of great information out in the world about applying to college, but there's also a lot of really outdated information and, uh, you know, information that's just plain wrong. So, remember um, to check your sources. Yes,
2: and I think the best source is us, the admissions officers, the admissions website, questions form, calling our office, whatever you can do to get in touch with the source is going to give you the best information.
0: Yeah, I think a nice kind of in-between uh, of those are our current students. So current mm. students are great sources of information for what student life is like, um, what it's really you know all about to be a student on a particular college campus. But even though they were admitted through the admissions process, they are not great sources of information about admissions or how to be admitted. Um, they don't have really any more context than anyone else does. And so don't go to them and don't try to sort of copy what they did because you think that's going to make you successful in the process
1: well we hope that this has been helpful remember to you know check your sources and and always be thinking about where information is coming from when you're hearing it about the admissions process and we'll do one of these episodes again this is fun
0: well thanks as always to jill uh you are a great sound engineer you're a great admissions officer and you are a great guest on the podcast so thanks for joining today
2: Oh, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Hannah.
0: Um, thanks also to Reed, who lends us uh, the office when we're in the office. I am excited to be back in the office finally again today. So, Reed, I'm enjoying your office again. Thanks for letting me use it. <laughs> thanks to uh, former admissions officer Andrew Brick Johnson, who composes our music. You should check him out at AndrewBrickJohnson.com.
1: If you have comments or an idea for a future episode, drop us a line at Yale Admissions Podcast at gmail.com. And finally, remember that the views expressed in this podcast are ours and don't necessarily represent those of Yale University. Thanks for listening.